You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 202 of this podcast Episode 137 of Season 3. This is August 26, 2021. Today we're going to talk about Dr. Eric Mason and the Council of Philadelphia, as he calls it, or at least as he called it on Twitter back in 2018. And before I get into what it is that he tweeted out, was tweeting back and forth with a lot of big names in evangelicalism in America. I want to set this up for you and explain why this came to my attention, why it matters, why you should care, then we'll get into it. So yesterday morning, this is what, a week and a half into our self-quarantine as a family because my wife had a positive COVID test uh, well, about a week and a half ago. And so I'm home. I'm home. She's doing well. Again, thank you to everyone who has asked how she's doing, how we're doing. She's really the only one who was affected in terms of getting this thing. The kids had a couple of symptoms here and there, but nothing terrible. They were pretty much bulletproof, as children statistically are pretty much bulletproof when it comes to COVID. But here I am. I'm home. And... I am talking back and forth with a number of people, asking them for some advice on my podcast and wanting this podcast to be better. We just did episode 200 two days ago, and I want episode 300 to be a really good report. I want the not just growth of numbers, number of people listening to this podcast to be evident, but I want my personal growth as a communicator, as a person, as a whole person, not just somebody sitting here in the mornings in front of a microphone. But I want the whole growth thing to be my focus. And if anything is coming out in 100 episodes that I need to attend to here and there, I I really want to take that seriously. I'm certainly not perfect. James, brother of Jesus, writes in the New Testament, if any man is able to keep from stumbling in what he says, that man is a perfect man. And as I've said before on this podcast, that is not me. That's not you either. The best we can do is just to stop talking entirely. But we have to communicate. We just have to. We have to accept that communication is a messy business. It's difficult. And we're not always going to get it right. But by God's grace, if we press on for his glory, we can get better. We can grow. And it's worth doing that. It's it's worth the uncomfortable process being undertaken by us. Because on the other end of it, we're able to better honor God. We're able to better love God with all of our being, love one another. So in the process of getting feedback, trying to get, trying to solicit feedback from people I know who listen to the podcast, I got into a interesting conversation with my neighbor two houses down, 
who helps me quite a lot in giving me good content to react to or to talk to or analyze, assess, understand, even if I don't talk about it, at least being able to factor that into the equation. So JP Chavez tells me that he listens to one of my podcast episodes again. Went back, listened to it again, and I won't share his specific feedback. Not here, not right this second. But it led me down a little bit of uh, a research rabbit hole where I'm home. You might say, well, Garrett, how do you have time to be doing all this research? Well, I'm on quarantine. And part of it is I need something productive to do and I'm bored. And part of it is I would be doing this research just a lot more rushed if I weren't on quarantine because these things are important. We need to understand them. And if I said something unfair about Paul David Tripp, I really want to grapple with that as soon as possible. And I want to recant if I've said something erroneous or unfair. So the big idea here is that Paul David Tripp maybe, possibly, was affiliated with the PCA, Presbyterian Church of America. He is a pastor, according to his website, according to his intro in the book, Lead, which I read back in May, 12 Gospel Principles for Leading in the Church. He identifies as a pastor of 30 years in Philadelphia, and he's got his own independent ministry, paultrip.com. You can check it out. He goes all over the world, does speaking engagements, and his background is Christian counseling. He got a degree from Westminster, taught there. I think he taught somewhere else as well, but I don't remember the other institution that he maybe taught at, was on the faculty for, for a time. But in any event, he identifies as a pastor. And so JP was thinking he had some kind of an affiliation with the Presbyterian Church of America. And if that's the case, the the PCA according to JP, is pretty conservative when it comes to the ordination of women. And that's one of the things I talked about in my episode on his book, Lead, is he's got some sections in there where he's talking about women having gifts and serving and being in leadership roles in the church with their ministry gifts and how we have got to have a hard-line stance toward pastors and male leaders in the church when it comes to sexism, toward the gifts of women. We have to have a zero-tolerance policy when it comes to sexism in ourselves or sexism in the leaders in the church around us. No sexism here, absolutely a no-go. Don't do it. God gave these gifts to these women, and you have to affirm them and treat them with respect and, and all of that is fine as far as it goes in terms of being respectful, in terms of being not a sexist. But on the other hand, the word sexist, like the word racist, gets thrown around quite a lot in our day and age. And all too often, the way that racism and sexism are used is as a cudgel to biff people over the head who have dared to criticize object to, disagree with something by a, a person of color who's not white or 
uh, a, a different culture other than American culture, or women. If a woman runs for president or is vice president, for instance, in the case of Kamala Harris right now, she is a woman of color. So if you criticize her and you say, I think she's not doing this correctly, you can say all the same things that you would say if she were a white male, straight white male. But because she's a woman of color, very often, all too often, the left in this country, the political left, the social left, will accuse you of racism and sexism. And so I'm very, very skeptical of this term, of this term uh, sexism. I, I'm very wary anytime I hear that word used because I don't trust that it's being used in good faith. I've seen it used far too often in a manipulative way. And that isn't to say that sexism doesn't exist or that it's not a real problem when it really does exist, just like racism. Racism is real. Sexism is real. But depending on who's defining it, and in what context, and to what purpose, the bigger problem may or may not be sexism. <laughs> the bigger problem may or may not be the reason for invoking a crusade against sexism here. And so if you want to, if you haven't checked it out yet, you can go back and listen to my episode 121 uh, overall, or episode 56 of season three. This is pretty early in the year. May 18th is when I recorded that one, Reservations Regarding Lead by Paul David Tripp. If you're having a hard time finding it, you can go to the thegarrettashleymulletshow.com. Just type in the search at the bottom of the page, Paul David Tripp. It'll come up. But long and short of it, the PCA is conservative when it comes to the ordination of women. And so in that episode that I recorded about the book, I talk about the way he phrases different things seeming pretty gender inclusive. And I say, I'm not sure if he's trying to leave the door open to the ordination of women, but depending on how far you go with this whole sexism thing, you might start labeling sexist theological conservatives in the church who say the Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament and the New Testament scriptures, and this is scripture that Paul writes, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over men. When the Apostle Paul writes qualifications for overseers and deacons, he says explicitly, must be the husband of one wife. That's not possible if you're opening this up to women as well. The qualifications exclude women, and that's not to say that women don't have a role. It is to say that role is not for them in Christ's church, and the church belongs to Christ doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. I don't make the rules. You don't make the rules. If I don't get to make the rules, then surely I'm not going to sit idly by while somebody else, some other human authority is trying to hijack what rightfully belongs to God in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit quietly by. And I know you won't either. That's why you listen to this podcast, even if we disagree in some particulars. But I want to be careful to not cast aspersions on Paul David Tripp. If I'm implying something that I'm not being careful enough to word where I am deducing, I think that's the word for it, not assuming and not engaging in rampant speculation and not insinuating and not bearing false witness and not making an allegation officially, but I'm deducing that 
he has left the language intentionally vague and he's emphasized certain things through repetition elsewhere. And I get the impression that he is at least not wanting to come out against the ordination of women, women being pastors, women being deacons. I get the impression from his book, from reading it. I read it myself. I read it all the way through. This is not coming secondhand to me from somebody else who read his book. And I didn't read this on some blog. In fact, I came into, as I say in that episode from May 18th, I came into this book with expectations to like it, to be picking up what he was putting down and to be helped by it. And I don't mean to imply anything untoward about the men I trust and respect and love dearly who recommended this book to me because I still love and respect and trust them. Their, their discernment is not in question here as far as I'm concerned. I think that maybe I just picked up on some of these things because I follow political science closer than they do. I'm aware of what's going on in the news cycle more than most folks, more than most people are. I read original source material, political treatises. I read a lot of history. I, I understand these things a little bit better than the average bear, and I'm more sensitive to things being crafty, being deceitful or being sly or being slick. And and I even said, I think you can go back if you haven't listened to it or if you haven't listened to it for four months, three months, you can go back and listen. I even couched my deduction with a hypothetical. Not that I have inside track information from somebody behind the scenes at the publishing company or Paul Tripp's ministry or Paul Tripp himself, nothing like that. But I deduce, and I couch it in these terms, that there's a conversation going on between the publisher and Paul Tripp. And that might not be the case. It could be Paul Tripp is just writing this because this is how he looks at it. He's not prepared to come out against the ordination of women. Or maybe that's somewhere else. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find anything to suggest one way or the other explicitly his personal views other than what I read in his book. Now, that said, I also couldn't find anything that supported the suspicion, impression that he is affiliated with the PCA. So if he were affiliated with the PCA, that might give us reason to give him the benefit of the doubt as far as his views on the ordination of women. Because the PCA split away decades ago from the PCUSA over the issue of ordaining women. PCUSA is a mainline Presbyterian church denomination, wanted to go that route. Liberal theology had infiltrated PCUSA, and the churches that now make up the PCA, Presbyterian Church of America, as opposed to Presbyterian Church of the United States, the PCA folks, those churches, those pastors, those leaders said, no, no, we're, we can't get behind that. That's a, that's a no-go because where does it stop? Where do you draw the line? It's a slippery slope. Once we start reinterpreting certain passages and saying they don't apply today because we don't like them, because they're not gender-inclusive enough, et cetera, et cetera, where does it stop? So couldn't find any evidence to support the suspicion, impression that 
Paul David Tripp is a PCA guy. And I would have believed it. I, I actually, I, if I hadn't had so much time to be home, I might have just taken that ball and run with it. But like I said, being on quarantine, being at home, I had several hours yesterday morning. And so I followed this rabbit hole. And it started with this. It started with me looking up the PCA to see what their position is, read some of their history. So I read bits and pieces here and there, scanning, perusing the PCA article on Wikipedia, getting some of the backstory, some of the history. I do a search for Paul Tripp, Paul David Tripp, to see if he comes up in the list of notable, noteworthy, high-profile PCA figures. Tim Keller shows up. Kevin DeYoung shows up. They're both PCA guys. Uh, Duke Kwan and Greg Thompson also are PCA guys. They wrote the book Reparations, which I've done a few podcasts about in recent weeks. Them and Kevin DeYoung went back and forth, back and forth about their book. Tim Keller I've done some podcasts on. So there's figures that we've talked about that we're familiar with that are in the mix on the social justice business who are PCA guys, but I couldn't find Paul Tripp on there. Couldn't find him. And that doesn't mean he's not a PCA guy. It doesn't mean that he is a PCA guy. So I kept searching. He does not have a Wikipedia page, so that was a no-go. His website, paultripp.com, says nothing about it one way or the other, except to say that he identifies as a Presbyterian. He doesn't get specific as to which uh, specific... Presbyterian denomination he belongs to. He just says he's a Presbyterian. So then I'm I'm reaching dead end after dead end after dead end. I can't find anything. And finally I decide to do a search for Eric Mason. And I'll tell you why. Why I decided to do a search for Eric Mason is because in a video from July of last year, Paul Tripp posted this to YouTube. He's talking about racial justice and the gospel. And it looks like he's got a loft-style apartment, staircase, very modern, very sleek, very good-looking digs, if that's where he lives. He's sitting on the staircase there, adjusting his glasses several times. He looks very smart, very gentlemanly, refined, good taste. Towards the end of that video, he recommends three resources for his viewers to educate themselves on questions of social justice, systemic racism, woke ideology. The first is Phil Vischer, creator of VeggieTales video on systemic racism. 17 minute video, go check it out. It's all facts, he says. It's not all facts. It's all talking points. It's all some details that are selectively chosen and woven into a narrative. It's not all facts. But he recommends that. He recommends Jamar Tisby's book, The Color of Compromise. And he recommends Eric Mason's book, Woke Church. Now, when he recommends Eric Mason's book, he says that Eric Mason is his pastor. He identifies Eric Mason as his pastor. So then, okay, maybe how I figure out what Paul Tripp's affiliation is is by figuring out where does Eric Mason pastor, what church, 
and what denomination does that church belong to? So I do a search. I come up with Eric Mason's website, his website, lots of social justice, critical race theory, black power, black empowerment, I should say, type stuff. And from there, I figured out that Eric Mason is pastor of Epiphany Fellowship Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay, now I got to find a page for Epiphany Fellowship Church. So I trace this back, find the website for Epiphany Fellowship Church in Philadelphia, PA, which I also happen to know. Paul Tripp lives in Philadelphia, PA. So that lines up. The website for Epiphany Fellowship Church says explicitly in about them, their beliefs, that they believe that the local church should govern itself, which is to say they don't believe that they need to be part of a larger denomination which has authority over them. So they're an independent, non-denominational church, and they like it that way. That's not an accident. They're not looking for a network of churches necessarily to be officially a part of. They're an independent, locally governed body of professing Christians. Okay, well, is there anything in their doctrinal statement on their website to do with ordination of women, what they believe on that? No. I tried looking through their staff to see, okay, well, maybe, you know, if they don't have any women pastors, women deacons, like that could be a clue. If they're for it, I would presume they'll have some women pastors and women deacons. And nothing was coming up. It was like, page not available. Try again. Sorry. We're sorry. We don't know what happened. Like you click on those links and they're just dead ends. They're broken links. Okay. Well then I am just going to have to see if there's anything from Eric Mason. Eric Mason's published a book, at least one book. looks like more than one book. At least one book, Woke Church, which Paul Tripp not only references, he recommends. Read his book. Read the book by my pastor, Paul Tripp says. Woke Church. Okay. So then I do a search, DuckDuckGo, that's how I roll these days. I do a search for Eric Mason on women pastors or ordination of women. I don't remember which. One of those two, but I think it was women pastors. That search brings up a tweet from 2018. And this tweet is so interesting for many reasons. One of those reasons is that there's a lot of big names being tagged here. James White, James White of Apologia Church, A&O Ministries, Alpha and Omega Ministries. He's tagged in this. They're going after him because he said some things that they didn't like or he disagreed with them, and so they're going to let him have it. Uh, John Sather, Sather, I don't know him. I don't know who he is. Mike Edmondson, I don't know who he is. Anthony Bradley, I'm not familiar with him. Some of these others, however, I am more familiar with. Tabidi Anyabwile, Trip Lee. I've listened to, I've bought some of his albums. I thought he had some pretty good stuff. Wasn't my favorite compared to the Cross Movement Records stuff. Compared to Lecrae, I liked Lecrae's stuff better back when I was listening to that gospel hip-hop stuff quite a lot. Tony Evans, 
So Tony Evans, I used to listen to Tony Evans on the radio. He would have a sermon here and there. I would check him out. Tony Evans apparently is the mentor of Eric Mason, author of Woke Church. And Tony Evans gives Eric Mason a glowing endorsement for his books, or at least a book, a recent book, which is disappointing. Not that I, not that when I used to listen to Tony Evans' sermons, I was an expert on his theology or his political statements or anything like that. I wasn't as well-read on these things back then as I am now. But still, it's saddening if he's on board with the woke church business. But here's the tweet. Here's the tweet in question from Eric Mason. All of this buildup, I present you with this. Quote, we need a modern-day ecumenical council on race and justice, exclamation mark. We need canons and synods and creeds on this, exclamation mark. Come to Philly and we can call it the Council of Philadelphia, exclamation mark. Limit it to 300 key men and women pastors and scholarly secretaries. Rebuke the heretics and affirm the sound. Rebuke the heretics and affirm the sound. We're heretics. In Eric Mason's mind, you and I, if we disagree with social justice, critical race theory, systemic racism, we, we're not just in error as far as he sees it. We can't disagree on this. This is not a secondary tertiary issue to Eric Mason, who Paul Tripp is recommending that we all read on this thing. If we're wrong on this, according to Eric Mason, we are heretics. That's a strong statement. Too strong. Far too strong. This is the primary issue for Eric Mason. Plain and simple. In his own words, if I'm a heretic because I disagree with CRT, because it's cultural Marxism, because it's Rousseauian, because it's communism in disguise, if I disagree with CRT, systemic racism, social justice, white guilt and white privilege and white fragility and white centeredness and all that nonsense, because it is nonsense, if I disagree with all of that, particularly disagree with that being woven into the fabric of the church, I'm a heretic as far as Eric Mason is concerned. But it gets better. There's more. But wait, there's more. Eric Mason replies to his own tweet because he ran out of characters, I'm sure. We simply need to call those who are heretics on this stuff heretics, and make a move to clear the air of these false doctrines on race and justice, like the Church of Antiquity, exclamation mark. Back then, you couldn't just say what you want, exclamation mark. Problem is that there is no theological accountability. Kyle J. Howard replies and agrees, we absolutely 100% do. There's too much skating around the reality that there are heretics supported and with platforms who cross I's and dot T's with a reformed doctrine, but are out of step with the gospel according to Paul. Eric Mason replies again down below. Specifically, I'm talking about the false doctrine of colorblindness, denying racism, and injustice towards African Americans, which is not in step with the gospel based on Galatians 2. I've listened to accused 
and the conclusions are sad and offensive and a violation of Romans 12. Tabidi Anyabwile says he's in. So, a couple of problems. One, disagreeing about CRT, social justice, systemic racism, these liberal theology positions that you can refer to shorthand as woke church, wokeism in the church. These are primary issues for these pastors, for these public persons. These are primary issues, not secondary issues. These are not issues about which good men can disagree as far as they're concerned. You disagree on this and you're not even a Christian. You're a false teacher. In their words, they want a council, they want a council in Philadelphia to call out the heretics, to nail this stuff down, to get it in writing, to have a basis for expelling such people from churches, from denominations, from fellowship, for excluding them officially, declaring them anathema. That's problem number one, because they're making a primary issue of not only unbiblical, but antichrist philosophy. Karl Marx is an antichrist philosopher, political philosopher, thinker on economics. He's antichrist. He's anti what the Bible actually says about these things. As if that wasn't bad enough to even bring that in in any form or fashion, even as a secondary or tertiary issue. They're not content for these things to be secondary or tertiary issues. These are primary issues to them. If these are primary issues to them, how can it be the problem with me if I say, okay, well, then that's a, that's a primary issue then. As far as fellowship with you is concerned, I can't have fellowship with this. I can't get with this. This is not the gospel. What you're preaching is not the gospel. It's a false gospel. You're like the Judaizers, making circumcision into a primary issue. Is circumcision something that we can disagree about? Can you have your newborn son circumcised and I don't, and we still be brothers in Christ? Yes, unless, unless you're the Judaizers and you're saying that salvation is dependent on this. It's like with baptism. Is baptism something we can disagree about? You baptize by immersion, I baptize by sprinkling, although that's just backwards. I baptize by immersion because I grew up Baptist, and that's how we roll. But you're for baptism by sprinkling, you're for paedo-baptism, I'm not for paedo-baptism. As long as that's not a primary issue for you, we can still be brothers and disagree about that. I'm good with that. That's not a primary issue. We're commanded to baptize, that's a declaration, that's a statement, a public statement that we're identifying ourselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And if we're not willing to be baptized, that calls into question whether we really believe in Christ. It's not the baptism, however, that saves you, whatever the Church of Christ folks believe. And so when the Church of Christ crowd makes baptism, which is a good thing, and it's a thing about which we can disagree exactly how we should practice this, when the Church of Christ crowd makes baptism into a primary issue, 
it makes fellowship with the Church of Christ crowd impossible. Practically, theologically, morally, ethically, it makes it impossible. Until they recant, until they repent of that works righteousness approach where they're making a secondary issue into a primary issue. And what's the difference? I mean, if they don't regard as a brother somebody who disagrees with them, woke church, then is it is it so awful to say, hey, okay, that's the reality. That's the reality of the situation. We are of a different spirit. So be it. On your own heads be it. The Lord rebuke you. I don't think so. So that's the first problem. The first problem is they're making a primary issue out of something which we should be able to disagree about. We should be able to have a messy conversation where some people grew up hearing this stuff was good and right and they're still not sure where they're at with it and they still have some baggage from their former way of living and thinking and they can still be Christians and not have that all figured out. Join the club. We have t-shirts. That's the first problem. Second problem. When, <laughs> when Eric Mason publicly calls for this Council of Philadelphia, he says, and I quote, limit it to 300 key men and women pastors and scholarly secretaries. Rebuke the heretics and affirm the sound. Okay, put the social justice, CRT, woke church business aside for a second, except that as I suspected, the woke church business is not confined to views of race and economics. The woke church business is pretty inclusive. I have yet to find somebody who is liberal in their theological position regarding race, who is not also liberal in their theological position regarding the LGBTQ business or the ordination of women. I don't find, at least in my experience, and I have to be careful assuming too much from my own personal experience. I don't find people who are liberal in their theology on some of these things and very, very conservative in their theology on other things. I'm not saying it can't happen because some people, they're listening to a argument and they're not taking a whole ideology kit and caboodle and internalizing it. And we're not all consistent. So there's that. But... I suspected and I deduced that from the language in lead and from what Paul Tripp says on his video from last July, I suspected that he was leaving the door open for the ordination of women in the church. And that if we're not careful, we a lot of conservative churches, conservative pastors, conservative Christians are going to read his book because we think he's got a track record of being helpful on these things. We're going to read his book and we're going to think, yeah, no, that's right. Sexism is bad. I agree. Absolutely. 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 Okay. So ordain women. Wait, what? Yep. Gots to. If they feel called and they have the gifts and they're good at speaking in public, you gots to. Gots to ordain them women. Uh, uh, no. Well, you just said you don't want to be a sexist, right? Well, yeah, but okay, then you have to do this. You have to take this position now. 
Well, that's not what I meant. What about Paul? Oh, that was just cultural context. That was just Paul being a sexist. That was his thorn in the flesh, right? So that that's how that sort of thing plays out. There's a reason why theologically conservative, once theologically conservative denominations and churches and people can split. One half breaks away. The whole reason that the PCA broke away from the PCUSA is because PCUSA was liberalizing their theology. So it can happen at a certain point, even with the PCA. It can happen at a certain point in our churches too if we start bringing in certain attitudes and notions which seem helpful at first blush, but there's not just a benefit, there's also a cost. There are unintended consequences. There are collateral ideas that fall like dominoes once we start knocking over this one and this one. And look around the bend. Look at the row of dominoes lined up around the corner. Walk down the hallway and see, okay, well, yeah, if we knock over these dominoes here, knocks down all these others. And the folks who are recommending this book to me, they're not going to go there. What I mean is they're not going to be taken in. I trust. They're going to reach that point where somebody says, ah, yeah, okay, so we have to ordain women. No, right? That's what they're going to say. No. But not everybody's going to read with that discerning eye, knowing their convictions on these things. And this can get to be a hazard when we're studying the scriptures secondhand or thirdhand. In Paul Tripp's video from last July, he's sending people to Phil Vischer. He's sending people to Eric Mason. He's sending people to Jamar Tisby, who have in turn been influenced by others. Somebody got to Phil Vischer. Somebody got to Eric Mason. Somebody got to Jamar Tisby and gave them these ideas. And now these ideas color the way that they read the scriptures, the way that they study the scriptures, the way that they teach the scriptures, even to the point that in 2018, May 13, 2018, Eric Mason is calling for a council of Philadelphia. And who's to say which comes first, the chicken or the egg, which is the chicken and which is the egg, as far as saying that if you disagree on CRT and wokeism with regards to race, you're a heretic, or saying limit the attendance to 300 key men and women pastors. Okay. Anyway, you slice it. Whichever came first, we have to be Bereans about it. We have to search the scriptures to see whether these things are so. We have to know the mind of Christ and be able to stand firm. Be sober and vigilant for your adversary. The devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Sometimes he's clever and he's crafty. And the Apostle Paul even says, when he writes to the church in Galatia, even if I or an angel come to you preaching another gospel besides the one that was originally delivered to you, the one which you originally believed, through which you were saved, don't believe it. Even if I come back to you preaching another gospel, don't believe me. If an angel comes to you and tells you a different gospel, Mormons, Mohammedans, don't believe it. Satan can portray himself as an angel of light. No two, no two bones about it. No two ways about it. 
So why did I tell you all this? Well, for one, I was cautioned behind the scenes with regards to some of the things that I'm deducing about Paul Tripp's book and needing to be careful to not go beyond what there is evidence for. And so, first of all, maybe moving forward from this, rather than from May to August, I let these things hang out there and then I do the research when somebody asks me about it. Maybe I do the research on the front end before I start speculating, deducing elementary, my dear Watson. Or maybe I need to get better at explicitly saying, I don't have any evidence to support this just yet. Here's my hunch. Here's my gut feeling. Here's what I suspect and why I suspect it. Maybe I need to get better at that just to make absolutely clear when I do have evidence and when I don't have evidence. For a third thing, I tell you all of this because I want us to realize that there's a little bit more to it than taking things at face value. You've got to be careful. Don't take my word for it. If I tell you about Saul Alinsky's book, Rules for Radicals, read it yourself. Uh, read Propaganda by Edward Bernays. Watch this great documentary series that the BBC did several years ago on Edward Bernays. The Century of the Self is the title of it. It's a mini-series, several episodes, interviews with Edward Bernays and his daughter and other people that worked with him, other people who have studied him in the issue of public relations. We're talking about master-level deception, manipulation of people. Now, riddle me this. If the enemy of our souls and our liberties is willing to infiltrate businesses and political parties and marketing firms are going to be created just to try and separate you from your money or your political power and give it to somebody else, to the highest bidder, why would the enemy stay out of the church? Why, why would the enemy stop short and say that the enemy is never going to present itself as an angel of light preaching a different gospel? as a way of getting to the religious folks who are more resistant to advertising. Sex may sell with those outside the church when it comes to trying to get cars off the lot or anything. Trying to sell Coca-Cola? Use sex. Trying to sell a video game? Use sex. Trying to sell a movie? Use sex. Except with the Christian crowd, they're going to be resistant. Oh, wait a second. So then you go about things in a different way. You appeal to their motivations, their testimony. Go after their testimony. Accuse them of being heretics. What does the religious crowd want more than anything? To have pure doctrine. To hear those words from the Savior, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into your place of rest. Play on that. Pray on that. P-R-E-Y. For the malefactors. So I just want you guys to be aware that this is a thing. Don't take my word for it. This is not conspiracy theory. Edward Bernays is a real guy. He actually is the reason why we know who Sigmund Freud is. And he's the father of public relations, modern public relations. He's the reason why we buy so much stuff that we don't need. And why 
advertisers and marketers are so very good at getting us to spend money on things that we'll never use. They just clog up our houses, empty our bank accounts, and for what? For the enrichment of others. So check it out. I'm going to put a link to this tweet in the podcast description for this episode. Let me know if you have any questions. If anything else, if anything else I say seems like it's a leap and I didn't make the connection clear, let me know. Give me the specifics and I will try to correct that. Thank you to JP. Thank you to others who have been talking with me about these things. And for now, I got to run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.